Hey, this is Brent Ingersoll from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. Hollywood released the movie, What Lies Beneath, in the summer of 1999, and they build it. They build it as a spine-tingling thriller. Harrison Ford plays college professor Norman Spencer, the ideal husband to his wife, Claire, played by Michelle Pfeiffer. They live in rural Connecticut, and they seem to be a happily married couple, and the story, however, centers around the sudden and inexplicable disappearance of one of Norman's students. As Claire becomes obsessed with solving the mystery of this disappearance, Norman is a model of support and understanding for his wife and concern for the missing student. Well, this goes on a gut-wrenching two hours, and then we discover that Norman, outstanding citizen, Norman, respected by his peers and, and his students, Norman, who is a loving husband and father, is a liar, a liar and an adulterer and a murderer. And, and so when the movie thinks, when the movie ends, you think, well, the script writer, come on, really tricked us realistically. Come on, realistically, a character couldn't appear so wholesome, so genuine, so concerned, so... Uh, sincere and loving, and then turn out to be something so different. And at the end of the movie, we discover, though, what lies beneath. Well, the, the movie does leave some us with an unsettling feeling, its watchers. But come on, no big deal. It's just a movie. It's fiction. It's just a story. But here in Matthew chapter 7, we find some truly unsettling words. Jesus is speaking here as he concludes his sermon, speaking of a yet future day. And as he comes down to the end of that sermon, here's what he says. Matthew 7, verse 21. It's on the screen before you. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come, and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. 
Jesus is saying, on judgment day, many, many, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. And then they give their list. We, we spoke up on your behalf. We spoke out against evil in our culture. We were involved in good causes. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the look of astonishment and sheer horror on their faces when Jesus looks at them and says, I never knew you. Get away from me. How could this be? How, how, how could they appear so devout, so genuine, so Christian? What lies beneath? I find this scripture, as I already mentioned, very troubling. You see, I find it easier to understand when people pretend to be Christians, when people do the hypocrite thing. And I believe for the most part, people who do that, they know what they're doing. They're not fooling anyone. And for the most part, I believe they're not fooling themselves, but this. So here's the question I put before us today, and we're going to seek answers from this scripture. Here's the question. It's before you. How can one go through life believing they are a child of God only to find out on judgment day they are not? How can this be? What lies beneath? Now, it's not my intention this morning to, to rattle your faith. It's, it's not my intention today to undermine your confidence. It's not my intention to question your commitment but it is my intention this morning for us all to look at this jarring, this troubling scripture. Because I do believe there are some listening to my voice this morning that you're building on the sand. And perhaps even at this minute you don't realize it, but in these next moments you will. So as we look to Matthew 7, I see three truths in this scripture that answer our question. Here's our question before us again this morning. How can one go through life believing they are a child of God only to find out on judgment day they are not? So here's the first of three answers to that question. Number one, I believe we all have a great capacity for self-deception. I believe that. Verse 22, on judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, and then they go on, we claimed your name, we fought evil, we worked for you, and, and apparently they are shocked, they are stunned, they are stupefied. I don't know if that's a word or not, but it is now, okay? They're saying, Jesus, we were with you, we, we did all these good things, we, don't you see us, we're good people? The point is they really did think, they thought they were in, they had deceived themselves into thinking they were among the redeemed, and on that great and final day they found out they were not. And I suggest to you we all have a great capacity for self-deception. I think it's standard equipment on this model, I do. My wife, Willowann, and I left Portland, Maine on a Sunday afternoon in mid-September, about 3 o'clock. This was one of our pre-COVID trips. And we had traveled about 30 minutes when we felt led to stop at a Dunkin' Donuts. 
And it was one of those uh, shops that was Subway on one side and Dunkin' Donuts on the other. And we decided we were on the road, want to make time, at least I was. And so we decided to do the drive-through thing. So we pulled up at the end of a line of cars. And you know how it works. Cars usually work through those places rather quickly. Uh, but we sat and didn't move for one minute. And then it was two minutes. And, and we never moved. And when it got up to three to three and a half Close to four minutes, we were beginning to wonder if someone up there had a really big order or whether maybe they ran out of coffee or even worse, maybe they ran out of donuts. And then, then we began to lift our heads and look around. There was no one in the car ahead of us. And then the car two ahead of us, there was no one in that one either. And the car three ahead of us, there was no one in that one either. And then we began to look for signs and sure enough, we were in the subway parking lot. We simply missed the signs, and, and over there to our right was a sign that said Dunkin' Donut drive through We really thought we were in the right lane, but we weren't. So I suggest to you that even in the little things of life, this, the human animal has a great capacity for self-deception, but when it comes to the, to these, the big issues... And this issue is the biggest issue of all, of being in the family of God. You've got Satan doing his angel of light impression. He's always at work, deceiving and tricking and pulling the wool over people's eyes, smothering people's legitimate doubts with things like, oh, you're a good person. Well, look how much better you are. And point to someone else. And you're fine. Don't, that's not a concern. There, I believe there's a clear and present danger for those perhaps raised like I was raised. Raised, I think there's a clear and present danger for those raised in a Christian home in the church. And you did the kids program. And you did the youth program. And you heard the gospel. And you agreed that it was true. And, and the danger... I think sometimes is that we think we can sort of morph in, but you can't. I'm a Simons, and I have a son, Brock, and he is a Simons by virtue of the fact that he is my son. I'm a Christ follower, and Brock is my son, but that does not make him a follower of Christ. God has no grandchildren only children. My son must, verse 21, do the will of the Father. My son must listen to his teaching and follow it. When I read this scripture, I, 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 and I reflect back over, I've been 40 years in pastoral ministry, July of 82 I began. And I think of the thousands, maybe tens of thousands of people that I have preached to over those years. And I'm wondering if I've allowed some to sit under my ministry. And yet, maybe there are some who are counting on a baptism. They're too young to even remember. They think that qualifies them to be in the kingdom. Or maybe a, a confirmation that was little more than a dress-up ceremony. Or, or maybe they thought their name is in a church membership somewhere, and that'll do it. Or a walk to the front, which was a walk and nothing more. 
or a prayer repeated, facts learned, good works completed, rituals performed, knowledge about Christ. Jesus said, go away, I don't know you. Do you know John Maxwell? Some of you would. He's a, an American leadership guru, also a Wesleyan pastor. He's, he's authored dozens of books. I've, I've heard him speak in persons, not to exaggerate, probably 25, 30 times over the years. I've traveled a distance to his conferences, and I still listen to him daily. He does a daily thing, a minute with Maxwell. And uh, I've read his books. When I was teaching at Kingswood University, I taught his principles. Oh, I did meet him once briefly when he visited Kingswood years ago and shook his hand and told him my name. So when you say to me, do you know John Maxwell? I would respond to you and say, oh, yes. (laughs) I guess I know John Maxwell, but listen to me. I don't really know him. And if you were to meet John Maxwell and if you were to say, Dr. Maxwell, do you know John Simons? He would go, uh, no, I don't think I do know him. Do you know Jesus? She was with me in the first service over here. She's not here in this one. Once was enough, I guess. But I know Willow Ann Simons. I've been married to her for 54 years, and I love her. I'm in a lifelong relationship with her. 61 years ago this year, we had our first date, and she knows me. And so my question today, the big issue at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus said, I don't know you. Do you know Jesus? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Well, that day we pulled out of the subway parking lot and we moved over in the Dunkin' Donut drive through Let me ask you this morning, anyone here need to change lanes? Can I give you three signs that you're in the right lane? I believe these three things, they're on the screen now before you, they're always present in someone who knows Christ. Here they are. Number one, a genuine sorrow and a turning from sin. We call that repentance. Number two, a trust in Christ alone to save you from sin. We call that faith. And the third is an increasing Christ-likeness in character and lifestyle. We call that obedience. And so when I ask you, are you a believer? And I've had people through the years say, well, Pastor John, I believe, and I begin to talk to them about, about repentance and faith and obedience, and they come back at me and say, well, yeah, but John 3.16 says, whoever believes, you're adding things to belief. No, I'm defining belief. You can't define, explain to someone what believe means without talking about repentance, faith, and obedience. So are you a believer? Here's a second reason why... Some folk will stand at the judgment and face the horror of all horrors. Here it is. People affirm what they see in others. If you were to tell me today, as we exit the building, that you're a believer, I will extend my hand to you 
And I will say to you, brother or sister, I'll take you at your word. Verse 24 says, a person builds a house on the solid rock. Verse 26 says, a person builds a house on the sand. And I suggest to you that the casual observer couldn't tell the difference in the two houses. They look similar as you look. Verse 21, those who called Jesus Lord obviously looked the part. They were religious. They, they did good things. And apparently, apparently, as you read this word, no one know, no one knew, no one suspected. At least no one had pointed out their duplicity previous to them being at the judgment. They were accepted and even affirmed as brothers and sisters. Why is that? Well, if you go back to the Old Testament book of Samuel, you find the big clue as to why, and it's simply this. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, man looks at the outward appearance, but only God looks at the heart. So we're inclined to affirm what we see in others, what they say. You know, I remember this wise man, foolish man story from way back when I was just a child. And uh, our teacher, I remember our teacher, she uh, illustrated it on a flannel graph board. Now, there I've dated myself. Some of you don't know what that is. It's, it's the 1950 version of mini Velcro. And the teacher would take these characters and stick them, and they would stay there on the felt. And I, I do remember her putting the wise man's house and the foolish man's house on the felt board and what struck me, even as a little boy, is the sameness of the houses. They look the same to me. When this service ends in a few minutes, and we all stream out the door, and people going by on Hampton Road see us coming out, they, all, they probably will think we all look pretty Christian. There are physical differences, I guess, between us. No one's ever mistaken me for Pastor Brent since I've been here on staff. My point is we all look Christian, so if you say that you are, I, I affirm you in that. I will take you at your word, but I only look at the outward appearance. Way back in the year 1974, I built a cottage up in Brown's Flats on Beulah Campground. And if most of you came by in 74, you wouldn't notice the difference if you walked by the cottage, if you walked by it today. Most of you wouldn't. Back then in 74, you might go by and say, nice cottage, Pastor John, but it sat on clay and sand and gravel and mud. It was unstable. And 20, in 2001, I jacked the cottage up. Actually, the work was done by a master builder. And he put a cement foundation under it back then, 21 years ago, and now it's on the rock. But many people who, who, who walked by before 2001 and since 2001 didn't notice the difference. And that you see, we affirm what we see in others. You all look like, you all look like believers to me, but are you? There's one more reason I want to share with you this morning why some folks will one day stand at the judgment in total shock, and here it is. Sometimes it takes a storm to reveal the truth. 
Sometimes it does. Verse 25, though the, rains, though the rain comes in torrents, it, the house on the rock, won't collapse because it is built on the rock. Verse 27, when the rains and floods came, the house on the sand will fall with a mighty crash. Back in my cottage's pre-foundation days, pre-2001, before I put it on the rock, I would go down late winter to check things out to see how the place was wintering. And there would be a sag in the ceiling inside and the floors would pop and snap as I walked across them. Front door might be seized shut. I had to go to the back door and it was already open. I couldn't get it shut. The storm revealed that the cottage was built on the sand. And for those horror-stricken souls in Matthew 7 who hear Jesus say on that great and final day, that was the great and final storm, right? I never knew you go away. It was too late. It was too late for them to build a foundation. But today, you still have time. It doesn't have to take a storm, you know, to reveal the truth. You know. The Spirit of God is speaking to some of you here in this room right now. You know the truth today. You know, it's interesting. As Jesus concludes the Sermon on the Mount, he makes a very clear distinction between the true disciples and the false disciples. There was no third category. He makes a clear distinction between the house on the rock and the house on the sand. There was no third house. He makes a clear distinction between those that Jesus, those that he knew and those that he didn't know. There was no third group. He makes a clear distinction between those who obey and those who only listen to him, to his words. There was no other crowd. Why this clear contrast between the two groups? Simply this, Jesus forces every one of us to make a choice. You know, some Bible scholars estimate that there might have been as many as three, four, five thousand people on the mount that day to hear this great sermon. And I suggest to you that no doubt, most if not all in the crowd, except for some of the scribes, Pharisees, teachers of the law, most of the crowd admired him as he spoke those words. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. But hear me today. There were some in that crowd way back in that day that went way beyond admiration, way beyond just listening and admiring Jesus. There were those in the crowd that day that something deep inside them said, this is what I've been longing for my whole life. This is what I want. Without even knowing it, without being able to name it, they knew that this, this, this is what I need. Something deep inside them said to be cleansed and forgiven for all my sin and all the junk that is part of my life. I want to know God. Some were saying to have a life beyond worry and beyond fear and not be a slave to sexual desire or unhealthy habits or the need for more and more stuff, more and more money. 
to be part of God's cause to redeem the world, to have confidence in life beyond the grave and not be afraid of death anymore. I have to have this. And I would rather have some in the crowd, some in this crowd are saying this. I would rather have what Jesus has and give up everything else in the world than to have everything the world offers and give up this Jesus. Is that you? Therefore, I'll pay the price. I will do whatever he wants me to do. I will go wherever he wants me to go. I will give whatever he wants me to give. And I will be whatever he says I should be. Today, today I'm leaving the crowd. As of today, I'm not just an admirer anymore. I will live as a fully devoted follower of this man, Jesus. Have I just described you? Will you make life's most critical choice this very day? Would you stand with me, please? I believe that there are some in this crowd here this morning, just like there were some in that crowd way back then, that this invitation resonates with you. And there's a prayer before you on the screen. And if you would say, today I'm, I'm making sure, today I will not leave here unless I know my house my life is on the rock. Pastor John, I pray this prayer with you today. Now, you're all standing, but as you see this prayer before you, and if this prayer this morning is your prayer, I invite you, just as we pray it, just to just do what I'm doing. Extend your hand. Pastor John, today, this is my prayer. Yes, I see hands. See hands here on my right. Several here, yes. In the center. Yes, thank you. And over on my left, Pastor John, I'm with you today. This, this day I'm making sure my house is on the rock. I see hands all over this auditorium. God bless you. Then I encourage you now, let's pray it. Let's pray it together in full voice. Pray it right out loud. And maybe those of you, you know your life is already on the rock. Why don't you pray it too? But you're praying it as an affirmation of a decision perhaps you made long ago. Would you pray with me together in full voice? Father, I'm coming out of the crowd. I'm crossing the line from knowing about you to knowing you. No more half measures. I want to truly know you. I repent of my sin. I will obey you. Today, I fully devote my life to you. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.